Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Content Intel. I am your host, Laura Dolan, Senior Content Marketing Manager here at Optimizely. Today, I am joined by James Robert Lay. He's the founder and CEO of Digital Growth Institute and the author of the best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth. James Robert, thanks for coming on the show. I am so happy to be here with you today, Laura. I wanted to um, continue what we were talking about a few weeks ago in our fireside chat, and in that we covered how to build and optimize a website that sells to maximize digital growth. And for those of you who didn't get a chance to tune in the first time, I will put a link to the on-demand version in the show notes of this podcast so you can hear it in its entirety. But what we wanted to cover today um, is to continue talking about the importance of optimizing your website's content to build trust among your customers. And a very important way to do that is through value proposition or as it's simply known as value prop. Uh, James Robert, are you familiar with the term value prop? Definitely. And I think it's one of these opportunities that when we think about a financial brand, there's a tremendous opportunity for growth here, uh, for sure. It's the value that your product or service provides to the customers and the promise of the benefits that you deliver. Um, I think a strong value proposition articulates your product's benefits as well as reasons why people should buy from you instead of your competitors. It's what sets you apart initially. Um, James Robert, can you think of any solid examples of value prop that you've seen leveraged by the, some of the financial industry websites today? Well, you know, I think when we think about a, a, a problem, uh, a pro, you know, solving problems through value prop, and I'm going to continue from the conversation that we had before, let's take the mortgage product. Right. Uh, it's so easy to position it around the features, um, around even the benefits. But one of the things that I would like to do is even go deeper with a, another perspective, which is the feelings that this product can bring to bear in the marketplace. Because in a commoditized world, where even features, even benefits are all uh, commoditized and they look the same. It's right. the feelings that we hope to receive on the opposite end of the spectrum once we utilize that product. That's to me where the opportunity is. And, and I can think about... Um, Take Rocket Mortgage. Uh, mm -hmm. They've simplified the perception of simplification is how they've positioned in the marketplace. That's their value prop. Um, and that's one of the reasons that they've been able to accelerate. But knowing the back end of the mortgage process, all of what happens post-application is exactly the same at every other financial brand. Yes. And it, again, it goes back to building trust, um, which is one of the most important factors you can have in an uh, online business and brick and mortar. Um, you can build that trust through social proof, case studies, trust seals, other elements uh, that will convey that you are a trustworthy uh, brand and that you your claims are true. And that all comes back to value prop and what you claim. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to your company slogan. Mm, exactly. And I think that idea of social proof is one that we see time and time again with the digital secret shopping studies that we do, say, against like fintech and against neobanks, for example, chime.com, right on the homepage of their site, they have logos from Wall Street Journal, from Forbes, the New York Times, USA Today, just those logos alone. Mm -hmm. People comment on them when looking at that homepage, like, oh, well, if, and, and it doesn't say anything, it doesn't have a quote, it just has a logo. So there's like this association that if they're associated with these other brands, then Chime must be a good product. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think if you position yourself in the industry with who you're associated with, who you're affiliated with and building on that brand trust, that gives you a lot of leverage uh, among your customers and prospects. 
And you're right too. coming back to this point of slogan. Um, mm-hmm. I think that gets into a deeper conversation around the purpose of the financial brand or the organization for that matter. Historically, so many have been focused on their mission, their mm-hmm. vision, which are typically an inward statement. I've always recommended a third way, which is a purpose statement and an right. external facing statement that is about connecting emotionally mm-hmm. with the ideal market audience. And on that, there's a great example with aspiration, aspiration.com is the brand. And this whole whole financial brand, this fintech, this neobank is literally positioned around leaving your bank where you're at to save the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's all about a social cause that's greater than just banking. So they they built their whole narrative around this and have positioned their products around that purpose. Yeah, it, it definitely comes back to articulating what you promise your customers and the benefit that they get by trusting you and by doing business uh, with your company. Um, a couple of uh, fun examples I found was um, was Casper with No Sleepless Nights. Oh, yeah. Um, Bitly, short and share measure is just three very short sentences, very concise. Um, Dollar Shave Club, a great shave for a few bucks a month. They're not beating around the bush. It's like, this is what you're going to get when you come to us. And I think the more uh, concise the brands could be in their promise statement um, will, will definitely benefit them in the long run. Great point, because a lot of times a purpose statement can become a promise statement. That promise statement can become a positioning statement, Mm -hmm. and there can be the overarching brand purpose narrative that then trickles down into product or positioning statements. Let's let's take Chime, for example, banking that has your back. Let's take Aspiration. Aspiration is 100% committed to clean money. Tropical Financial in Florida um, is on a mission to help people get beyond money so that they can get to a better future. And it's these small, short statements that become a North star to guide all of the thinking specifically, I think, even when it comes to elements like content, because if we have that, that purpose driving us, it's much easier to lean into producing content, to promote content and then to get that executive level buy-in needed to sustain this over a period of time, because now we're truly taking on the role of the helpful and empathetic guide in other people's journeys, because money is confusing, money is stressful, and they're looking for someone that they can like, know, and trust to guide them beyond that stress towards a bigger, better, brighter future. Exactly. And I think once companies pin down what their identifier is, because I think a lot of it does come down to kind of an identity crisis, if you will. If you don't have that purpose nailed down, you don't really know where you're going as a brand. You're kind of misleading your customers in a way if you don't pinpoint what you're doing and, and direct them where they need to go to build that trust. It's an identity crisis for sure. It's an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, w- that's one of the reasons in, in in my book, Banking on Digital Growth, purpose is at the center, the heart of the digital growth blueprint, right. because everything else should orbit around this. And so just to make this very practical for the dear listener, when you think about purpose, it, it boils down to three key elements or three key um, uh, points in a purpose statement, what I call the verb 
what I call the target, and then what I call the outcome. This is what we do for this ideal, hopefully niche market segment, so they feel this way with an outcome. So a verb, a target, and then an outcome. That's a great breakdown. I like that. It's it's figuring out what the pain point is, whose pain point is it's for, and what are you going to do to remedy the situation? And that's those are the three key elements to your value prop. I mean, that it's it's a very simple formula. I feel. Yeah, verb, target, outcome, and. I think it's a simple formula, but as we experience when working with financial brands, it's an exercise almost in complexity because what we're driving for is simplicity. And so we're having to give up a lot. What are we trying to distill down into this statement? Because is as you bring this internally, everyone seems to have an opinion and a very strong mm -hmm. opinion at that. And so it's important to bring all of those voices to bear all those voices to the table so that it's an exercise in inclusivity. But at the end of the day, it's where leadership can take that information, take that data, distill it down, and then create a verb targeted outcome that becomes the North Star, the focus, the guiding light going forward. Now, obviously, the more successful companies out there have an established value prop. But what about for the companies that are just starting out? Let's say it's a small Ooh. business and they're trying to break their way into the financial industry. One thing we obviously uh, offer here at Optimizely is A-B testing, experimenting um, with your slogans, with your value props to see where you can get the most traction. Um, what have you seen on your end um, that has resulted in, in a successful outcome as far as how financial brands could leverage this kind of experimentation. I think a great example of this is uh, what I was mentioning before with Tropical Financial. They have a platform, a program called Get Beyond Money. Um, it was something that they had tried to do internally. They were struggling. And then I said, look, we need to get outside of outside of the bottle. We need to look at the label on the bottle, mm -hmm. but we have a lot of bias typically tied to that, a lot of emotion. And that's where, to your point, A-B testing, testing messaging, testing value props, testing positioning yeah. uh, is a great way to get outside of the bottle and to get objectivity from the marketplace. And that's exactly what they did. They did it with positioning statements. They did it with even the logo, logo because it's so easy to make these generalized assumptions. There's no reason that we should not test. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's the old adage in sales to ABC to always be closing. Right. I think in today's marketing space, we should always look to always be testing, always be optimizing. ABT, ABO. I like it. Yes, absolutely. It, it, you could be testing uh, the formula that you, that you mentioned before. What's your purpose? Who's your audience? What's the pain point? You can make as concise as you want, as lengthy as you want. It's just got to be something catchy, something that your customers will remember and will want to come back to you over and over again. And it's the only way you're going to get there is if you are a starting out brand and you're trying to establish yourself and your credibility is basically go ahead and test it out. I'm a hundred percent confident in the choices that I make until I get new data. And I always reserve the right to change my mind or to change my opinion because, uh, and it, you know, 
we were having this conversation as an organization about the, the utilization of um, calendar invites and right. is, does that feel impersonal? Is it better if you have someone helping to either a schedule for you, or if you send a calendar invite? So I had an opinion of that. And I said, look, I don't know the answer. Why don't we go out and we ask? And so we did a LinkedIn survey of this yeah. And we found that 75% of people feel that the calendar scheduling, like a calendar link does mm -hmm. not feel impersonal. They're totally fine with it. They feel it's very efficient. And so I think it's this idea of always be curious about and never assume anything uh, and then always reserve the right to change your opinion. Pilot programs are a great way to consider this. So mm -hmm. before it becomes a quote unquote definitive truth, we're testing this with a small data sampling set or a small part of the market share, getting some feedback, getting some validation, and then that becomes the new norm going forward. One thing you did say during our fireside chat, you can't test what you don't know. We don't know what we don't know right. until we know. Right. And that's the, the idea of continuous testing, continuous optimization, and it's mm -hmm. a fallacy to just think that we know it all. And COVID has been a great example of this. It's, yeah. it's challenged so many different areas, whether yep. it, you know, it's market positioning, whether it's, you know, remote work versus in office. We, so we just, we just don't know what we don't know until we know it. To me, the most important element of all of this comes down to critical thinking. Um, it's those four areas. I call these the four digital growth operating environments. You can be learning, you can mm -hmm. be thinking, you can be doing, you can be reviewing, and it is deadly to get stuck doing anything. Therefore, you must create space and time to review what you've done, right. to learn through those experiences, to think about how you can apply them going forward so that you may do them even that much better on the next round, on the next iteration. I'll tell you, COVID really forced everyone, not just new businesses, but everyone to just think outside the box, be as innovative as they could, to pivot where they had to, to stay on track, to stay top of mind. And, you know, I think that's something we should be doing, even if we're not in the middle of a pandemic, we should be constantly thinking about how could we self-improve our businesses, our messaging, the way we engage with our audiences. Yes. And it's one of the very few silver linings that came out of the pandemic is kind of forcing yourself to think a different way and to go down this path of the unknown. I mean, it's scary, but at the same time, it forces you to, to experiment I think it's so easy to get trapped into what I call the cave of complacency. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, the, the rote, the, the mundane, the it's safe. Um, yes. And it's scary. It's scary to have to travel outside of that cave to ascend to what I call the apex of awareness, to look behind you where you've been, look down the mountain at where you're at, look ahead at to where you can go next into the future. And then it requires one to act. And act is an acronym. Act requires that awareness. Mm -hmm. When we get that awareness, we can look ahead to the transformational future. But the, to bridge the gap between that is one word. It's commitment. Mm -hmm. So we have awareness plus commitment. That leads to, to the continuous transformation, which leads to continuous growth. Right. It is my hope that 
as brands, as organizations, we build this in culturally coming out of this pandemic and we're seeing the light on the other side. We don't mm -hmm. lose what we've learned right. and fall back to old patterns and old behaviors that mm -hmm. we were so accustomed to pre-pandemic. Yeah, it would be really detrimental for companies to go back to old habits and, you know, especially if, as companies are starting to open up and the brick and mortar locations, they feel yes. a little bit safer, but they have to consider that we are in a new normal. I hate, hate to keep using that term because it's so ubiquitous right now, but it's true. Things cannot go back to the way they were before, especially with the Delta variant that's going on right now. And every single day there's new developments with that. And it is forcing all of us, whether we own a business or not, to kind of change our habits and change the way we approach the outside world. And I think businesses could really uh, benefit by putting safety first and putting those measures first and putting, including that in their message. I think when it comes to this idea of optimization, continuous improvement, A-B mm -hmm. testing, the things that, that Optimizely just does so well, anyone and everyone, no matter the size of your organization, and maybe it is the smaller organization that has a competitive advantage because they're getting to write a new script uh, mm -hmm. from the ground up and make this part of the process. Anyone can do it. It just takes a little bit of cash. Cash is another acronym. K-A-S-H. It's your knowledge, which is found through what? Training and education. Yep. It's your attitude of how you handle all of this knowledge, which comes through the thinking, coming back to the four digital growth operating environments. It's the systems that we deploy, which is now how we're doing, and then creating that space and time to pause review. That's where we can review those habits that have been established consciously or subconsciously. Because if you think about a, uh, the organization, the culture of an organization, it's all ingrained in habits. And I, I, I talk a lot about if we're looking for continuous growth, if we're looking for continuous optimization, we have to be mindful of the three transformations, transform the, the, the individual person because individuals make up the teams when you transform the teams then you can transform the organizations because organizations are made up of teams teams are made up of individuals and so you you mentioned that like if we're starting a new business there have been more new businesses that have been started here in the united states mm -hmm. through this pandemic right then a, a, a much earlier period of time. And I don't have those exact numbers, but I was reading an article that was stating this and I was fascinated as to, wow, what an opportunity to yeah. start a new business and really determine what are those pain points that you're looking to solve for, right. test against that, and then build the business model. And don't, don't be scared to change your opinion if the data comes back different than what your assumption was. Yeah. And when I was noticing as a consumer, just the different types of businesses that were, were conducive during a pandemic, whether it was grocery deliveries, food delivery. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously food delivery is not new. We've got DoorDash, you've got Grubhub, but um, the way different restaurants actually restaurants. pivoted and became either, you know, curbside only or delivery only. And I will shamelessly say that one of my favorite restaurants is Red Lobster. And I yep. never thought in my life that I would be able to get Red Lobster delivered to my house 100%. from them, you know, and 
it's something that they did that was very smart. And a lot of other brands follow suit where they took advantage of, okay, we got to stay open somehow. What are we going to do to keep our customers and to give them what they want? Obviously people need to eat during pandemic. They're afraid to leave their homes, but they could still enjoy their favorite meals at their favorite restaurants. See, and what you're talking about when it comes to this idea of continuous improvement, continuous optimization, continuous growth here. We sometimes we need a forcing function because that forcing function in this particular case was COVID. Mm -hmm. It forced us to question almost everything for lack of a better word, just survival at yes. that point. Yes. And, and so is there a way to build in forcing functions mm -hmm. that, that require us to question the the norm or to question the status quo at least annually if not quarterly because it would be my hope that we can commit to continuous optimizations at least once every 90 days and once we build those habits then we can start looking at bi-monthly then monthly then bi-weekly and i know that's a massive undertaking for someone to think about and they're listening like how would we ever do this on a bi-weekly basis you're not going to out of the gate you you all progress begins with a very simple commitment and that commitment might be annually it might be quarterly but then right. you just keep leveling up your capability as you continue to move forward and make progress not not measuring it against perfection i think that's what i think that's what we all are hoping for or seeking in some sense but if we can get comfortable feeling uncomfortable mm -hmm. comfortable not knowing comfortable always seeking the next answer then we can can really commit to make progress be our source of measurement, not perfection. It's that level of discomfort that forces us to yes. pursue change, to pursue experimentation. Like clearly this isn't working. What can we do to change this? And it's something as simple as, you know, we talked about in our conversation um, in our webinar was change the color of your CTA, change the position of your oh, CTA. Yes. Is it above the fold? Is it at the bottom of the page, do you want your customers to keep scrolling? And what is it that keeps them going? What is it that keeps them curious and keeps time on the page? And the possibilities are endless. If you think about, and the restaurant's a great example, mm -hmm. restaurant basically had to become e-com to a degree. Yes. Yeah, it did. Overnight. Um, and we and Red Lobster, we never thought Red Lobster would be associated with any type of e-commerce. And I think right. that's the darting group based out of Louisiana who's over that. They have Olive Garden as part of their portfolio. Yes. Yep. And and so when we look at the opportunities to to question and then to measure and to learn and gain that understanding. Sometimes we're going to find that we are the student. Other times we'll find that we're the teacher, but through either one of those experiences, we'll always be learning something going forward. Absolutely. And one thing that goes hand in hand with value prop is social proof and yes. social proof doesn't lie. And you can look at your analytics all day and the engagement that you're getting on social media and the response you're getting in your app, if you have an app. One thing I love about uh, the technology that we have today is that you will always see the results of your efforts. Mm. And it's, it's fascinating. And I think we're very fortunate to be living in a time where we can evaluate what works and what doesn't. 
I want to come back to this point of social proof because that's, yes. that, that spans all different market segments, whether it's financial services, mm -hmm. retail, healthcare. Uh, I can tell you just working in the financial services space that a financial brand that brings either third-party validation, like I was mentioning before with the Chime example, like with Forbes and Wall Street Journal, or they bring in local market validation. So, you know, maybe it's from the local newspaper, but it's customer ratings, customer reviews, right? the yep. star ranking system, mm -hmm. bringing that, putting that on a product page, having some real-time ratings and reviews where people can sort and, and, and level through different types of, of filter their, the, the feedback. We make purchase decisions today, whether or not we want to admit it, based upon the star rankings, mm -hmm. the average star rankings right. of a product. And I just did a podcast about this to where the, what the impact of just one bad review has yeah. and the formula that it takes to overcome the damage from that one negative review. I have actually a really quick anecdote. So my husband and I were getting ready to move. We chose a moving company based on how they responded to negative yes. reviews and it would basically bust the credibility of one negative reviewer because you you know you see four stars you see four and a half stars and you see one star and it's just this disgruntled customer saying they damaged this and it was the company reached out saying well we told you we didn't want to put your couch through this tiny little door opening but you insisted and now there's damage and so they basically you know tried to remedy the situation by saying by explaining the the response of the customer. And I respected that and we hired them and they did a great job for us. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's much, people are more likely to publicly leave a negative review mm -hmm. than they are to leave a positive one. And that is why if we can build asking for the rating, asking for the review, even asking for the referral as part of the operational system of a brand experience post-conversion, right. we will be planting seeds for continued future digital growth uh, because it, it takes around 40 positive customer reviews to undo the damage of a single negative review. It's unfortunate. It's one bad apple has to upset the whole apple cart, but it's just nature's way of <laughs> just that's just the way things go and it's unfortunate and you have to fight back so much harder to get that credibility back and one thing i i like to tell people when i write about content and how to stand apart from your competitors is if you have a really fabulous positive review put it on the home page of your website don't be afraid to call those things out. You got five stars and here's the explanation and here's who said it. And if you want to go out of your way to ask permission of the person who left the review saying, can I highlight this on my site? And they say, go for it. I say that does way more good than anything else. Yes. And, and that's where I think you, you mentioned this idea of trust. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Trust trust is the currency that we trade on in today's digital world. And mm -hmm. it can take weeks. It can take months, depending upon what vertical you're in, sometimes even years to make mm -hmm. enough deposits into a consumer's trust fund that sits between their ears. And yes. the way that we make those deposits is through 
value prop. It is through purpose. It is through mm-hmm. the content that we produce and promote to help first, to sell second, yes, to guide them beyond their questions and concerns to, towards their hopes and dreams, whatever those might be. On the flip side, back to the point of reviews, it can take seconds to deplete that trust fund mm-hmm. that sits between their ears. And in the banking space, we saw that with the Robin Hood debacle. Yeah. And you just got to keep moving forward as well. Um, can't let, like I said, one bad apple ruin the whole cart. I hate to keep using that metaphor, but it's it definitely applies in this situation. Very much so. Well, James Robert, I appreciate your time coming on today. And um, thank you so much for this time. Is there anything you think we haven't covered or anything uh, you would like to add as a final nugget? I would say, you know, I like I like to get very practical at the end with a specific recommendation for the dear listeners so that they can take everything, distill it down, make a commitment. My my ask for the dear listener is this. Take a look at your website with an open mind Mm -hmm. and determine what is just that one thing, that one element that you feel you could test against that you might question that you could always be testing uh, around to make your, your digital experience that much better. And as a result, increase conversions, which leads to increased sales, increased revenue and increased profit. Awesome. Always be improving, I like to say. <laughs> Very much so. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, James Robert. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. And thank you all so much for tuning in for this episode of Content Intel. I am Laura Dolan, and I will see you next time.